all the conditioning that you guys want to do. Its whole purpose is to support this massive speed that we're trying to give you. Because you can be the best conditioned person in the world, but you're still going to come in last. If you want to help your athletes get faster, then this is the episode for you. In my not-so-humble opinion, Lee Taft is the best practitioner of multi-directional speed training in the world. And in this episode, I really feel like we capture lightning in a bottle. While Lee primarily works as a consultant these days, over his storied career, he's owned his own facility numerous times, coached at virtually every level of sport, and perhaps more importantly, has coached just about every type of athlete under the sun, all of which gives him a truly unique approach and understanding of speed development. So whether we're talking about acceleration, top-end speed, curved running, backpedaling, or lateral movement, we literally cover all of these topics in depth in this episode all in an effort to help you get the best possible results with the athletes you train. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, if you followed this show or my career over the past decade, you know how integral Lee has been to my own success. While I'm still nowhere near his level, his teachings, work, and guidance over the years have taken me from someone that knew almost nothing about speed to someone who is confident teaching athletes of any shape or size how to get faster. And like I promised, in this episode, we're going to touch all of the bases. Maybe you want to help your athletes get faster straight ahead in acceleration or top-end speed. We gotcha. We're going to dive into curved running. Very hot topic in our industry, but how do you use curved running? How does Lee start his athletes using curved running? Awesome section there. I took a ton of notes. You're going to love it. We're going to talk about backpedaling, the different ways that you can backpedal and how to coach and cue it effectively. We're going to talk about lateral speed and acceleration because if you're in a sport like volleyball, like basketball, where you have to shuffle and move side to side, you got to get out of that sagittal plane and learn how to move in the frontal and transverse planes. Basically, regardless of the sport, regardless of the type of athlete you're working with, we cover it all in this episode. And we're going to talk about the mental model, how it should look. We're going to talk about coaching and cueing all these different activities. And we're going to talk about some of the biggest mistakes that Lee sees, not only with how the athletes execute it, but how we as coaches might be screwing up our athletes' movement as well. So my friend, I'm telling you, this is an amazing episode. It's one hour, but it is just straight fire. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome episode with my guy, Lee Taft. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. 
But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Appreciate you so much for coming on here today. Start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure being on the show. This is one of my favorite uh, favorite times to talk shop with you. So, uh, but yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I my heritage is phys ed. That's really where everything that I've learned over the years kind of started. And the reason I say that, because of course, in strength and conditioning and performance and all the, the all the different uh, you know gloves we put on. Um, there's a lot more to it, but physical physical education did two things for me. Number one, it, it allowed me to understand teaching and learning, how those two work together, and of pedagogy, of skills. And also, it allowed me to manage um, large groups effectively and really efficiently. Sure. That allowed me to work my way into the profession of strength and conditioning and and obviously, as a coach, I've been a I've been a head coach of multiple sports as well. So, but that that physical education background gave me the uh, tools to be able to really feel comfortable in front of a lot of groups and know how to manage those groups and compartmentalize things. That was really important. And so, over the years, you know, I've just kind of been involved with a lot of different uh, teams and uh, from a strength coach and from a sport coach as well. And and then that kind of leads into something you're really 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 good at is consulting and helping uh, younger coaches or even older coaches who want to learn a different avenue in our broad profession under this fitness umbrella, which we call strength and conditioning. So that's kind of where I've been. I love it. I love it. And talk to me again, for those uh, listening in that are not familiar with you or your work, what was it about speed training? What was it that got you excited about speed and speed development? Yeah, you know, I think this is really cool in our industry. If you if you follow anybody in it, you can almost tell what they were good at individually. Yeah. So people, you know, people see me in person, they're like, okay, this guy definitely wasn't a strength guy. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't setting records under the bench press and stuff. But he, you know, he looks pretty quick, you know. And so I was a fast athlete. I was really quick. I was, you know, obviously I, my dad was a really really good athlete, and my brothers and. Um, I could jump and I could run. I was a good good track athlete and played all the other sports. So that intrigued me, especially when I got into college, Mike, because I had some things that occurred when I was in college that made me want to investigate speed more because I was interested in it. But then I, my basketball coach kept saying some things to us about how we were moving our feet and how that's incorrect. And I couldn't figure out why he was saying it until I started looking at it on video. And then I realized, you know, back then it was different. It wasn't the quick video we can get now. It was actually film you had to upload and go through and watch. And I used to watch it and I'm thinking, ah, I'm not the only one doing it. Everybody's doing this kind of stuff. So that really intrigued me. And so I've been on a, you know, three and a half decade journey of really trying to understand it the best that I can. And I don't have it figured out. But I think the one thing I did figure out is... Our nervous system is is thriving for um, the ability to showcase what it does really well without being handcuffed. Yes. So, you know, when it wants to express reactive quickness and elasticity, it wants to do that. It doesn't want to be held back. And that's what that's I believe, I think, is what protect us, protected us as human beings and allows us to survive. I just took that and put it in sport which usually isn't life or death right. unless you're, you know, a quarterback and you got a 275-pound defensive end coming at you, then it is life right. or death. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of that's what got me uh, pumped up about speed. I love it. I love it. So as I kind of alluded to before the show, today's theme is what I'm kind of deeming 360-degree multidirectional speed training because right. that's something that I've always admired about you. Uh, you know, there are like the quote unquote track guys that love to talk about just acceleration or top end speed. Yeah. And we'll touch on those topics. But I think 
if somebody wants to learn athletic speed, being faster on a field, court, or pitch, you're the guy to do that. So what I'd like to start with is let's break it down to brass tacks. Let's talk about acceleration. Talk to me about why acceleration is important virtually regardless of the sport that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So if we look at acceleration, what's the ultimate goal in sport? It's to compete for possession. Possession could be space. I want to possess that space. It could be a wrestler wanting to accelerate quicker than his or her opponent and have possession of a limb, right? Maybe a single leg. Acceleration is critical in that sport. We just watched a great fight the other night with Lomo and, mm. and uh, uh, what's it? I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name. But anyway, great fight. You know, talk about acceleration. Man, that's a huge, huge avenue of acceleration. And then we go to the team and court sports and field sports, right? Where acceleration is usually the separator of who establishes authority on a play, okay? Yeah. Who, can, who can stop somebody quicker? or who can not be stopped quicker. And I like to phrase those uh, kind of uh, attributes as the ability to escape or attack space. If I'm better at escaping space than my opponent and attacking new space, that usually allows me to own or have authority over that movement. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, can, I can impose my will on that play. And so I think that's really an important part that coaches have to understand in acceleration is it isn't just the mechanical parts of it, which are really, really important. It's still the will and the desire to accelerate your body in a direction and get there to take ownership of that new space. And that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah, I love that thought process, too, because, you know, I've got kids nine and 12 now. My daughter plays soccer And it's fun watching that sport because, I mean, I played a lot of sports growing up, but in soccer, you've got these big spaces that all of a sudden become very small spaces. And so that idea and that mindset of like first to the ball, winning the ball, first to possess the ball, I think is such a critical concept. And it's something I'm always preaching to my daughter, Kendall. It's like, hey, look, if it's a 50-50 ball, right, you want to be the first one to touch it, right? You want to get there first. So when we're talking about a model, for an for acceleration what is like yep. ideal acceleration mechanics look like to you yep yep so if we're gonna go i'm gonna start laterally okay so we're, we're looking at a lateral acceleration we have basically two movements we have a shuffle or we have a lateral run many people know the lateral run is a crossover yep the the lateral shuffle the fir- the lateral shuffle and the lateral run the first third to really two-thirds of it you could say are almost identical the back side, the, the side of my body furthest from the direction I want to go. So really the pushing side yep. is going to start pushing my center of mass in that direction. Now, because I'm doing, let's say, the lateral shuffle, I have a very specific gait cycle. My backside leg is going to project. And ideally, if a physicist were to say, tell us what's ideal for pushing the pushing something through space, we would say 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. We know that's not always possible for various reasons, sometimes intent, sometimes physical lack of mobility, whatever. But ideally, that's what we like to be. So if if I'm going to my right, my left leg pushes, roughly it's going to end up at about a 45 degree push from from my pelvis, right? And then I start moving in that direction. Well, my front leg's job during this acceleration, really its main job is to keep momentum going or acceleration going while the back leg gets a turn to push again. So the front leg isn't a primary mover. It's a supportive mover. And if it's trained well enough, it can be a pretty supportive mover. Now, if I took that exact same movement, rather than casting my lower leg, so my shin of my right leg, that it swings out in front, heel touches, and I pull, that identifies as a shuffle. Okay. If I were to take that cast action, take it away, and my shin went down and underneath me, and it pushed down and back, and my back leg transferred in front of me, that's what we call a lateral run or a crossover. Okay. Think of a baseball player stealing on the first movement. Think of a basketball player guarding somebody and doing that crossover multiple times to still stay oriented with that person. 
the acceleration now changes a little bit. The backside leg is an initiator of movement, but the front side leg is actually set up better in the lateral run to be the primary pusher, just like a track athlete in the blocks. Front leg is the dominant pusher, and the back leg is just like the ignition that gets it started. So we, first of all, have to understand where do we push down and back? So we kind of ex explained that a little bit. So now if I'm being just an actual linear sprinter taking off, same things apply. I need to have force application down and back into the ground simply to move my center of mass forward. That's the, that's the game changer. You know, my head, my shoulders, all that stuff really does matter. But it doesn't matter if I'm not trans my center of mass down the track. I have to push through my pelvis, through my hips right. to get moving down the track. And how that occurs is through, if we're talking about acceleration, the first couple of steps are actually pretty low recovery. Yeah. We don't want them really high because I haven't had enough time to change the inertia into really fast acceleration yet. Give me a couple more steps, then I start kind of rising up even more. Right. And I think, Mike, I, I might be mistaken, but I think it's something like you get about six degrees of rise in the body for every stride during acceleration until eventually we become vertical. And now my stride pattern is much different looking than an acceleration stride pattern. So, so that's kind of what we're looking at. And then arms are a support system to that and a really important support system when we're trying to be maximally fast as where if I'm playing tennis or lacrosse and I have an implement in my hand, I get it not from the full arm action. I get it from the undulating shoulders mm. that still can help me because I have to be in opposition or reciprocal yeah. so that I can support the push up. So that's kind of cool stuff to play with. Yeah. No, I love that. Okay. So let's say we've got a young athlete or maybe it's an established athlete and you're watching them and you're like, man, the acceleration just isn't where you want it to be. If I had to pin you down and you had to give me anywhere from three to five of your favorite cues, right? It's Pareto's principle designed yeah. for acceleration. What are three to five cues that will clear up most of the acceleration issues that you see? Yep, yep. So we'll stick with the easy one and that's linear acceleration because that's the one we work with most. And I yep. think linear acceleration can help a whole bunch of stuff. So, so number one, is you got to get the athlete through cueing to push down and back okay and sometimes just saying that word is really good but what i like to help is i will tell the athlete especially if i'm not having them look for something like a ball coming at them i tell them to run and push through the crown of their head mm. so if they drive like their crown of their head forward a lot of times it projects down through the body and through the foot so they can push down and back if they do that. I've had young kids out here, actually out in front of my house, I have marked off like five yards, 10 yards, 15, and we'll go out and do stuff. And I've seen some young kids change quickly when we start doing that. And I say, don't worry about looking up. Just keep your head neutral. Don't don't tuck your chin. Just stay right. and look at the ground until you can look up. And it, it really helps them project their body. So that's number one, push down and back or run through the top of your head. Mm. Uh, number two, chase your shoulders tends to help athletes be able to understand what needs to stay in front, at least on those first, you know, depending on the age of the athlete, sometimes four to eight steps. It just yep. depends on the strength of the athlete. Number three, I love talking about getting them to have their pinky of the arm that's driving behind them to get to the height of the shoulder. So if you can imagine me taking off, okay, I'm coming out of the blocks and my very first action of separating my arms, my back arm goes fairly long, almost straight. Some athletes, it does straighten out, not all of them, but I want the pinky up to at least shoulder height. Can be a little bit below, can be a little bit above. That's based on uh, range of motion most sure. of the time. But that long arm, so I call it throwing your hands back, throw your hands back. And if they do that, what happens is that it equates to a longer push-off of the opposite leg. Because the, 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 if my right arm is going back, my right leg is coming forward, and it'll be shorter. Okay? Right. And then my other leg's long. So those two are long together, and that helps support coordination and 
a longer dry phase. And we're really trying to reach peak, peak power as soon as possible if we want great starting speed. Yep. Um, so that's one we definitely want. And then the last one I try to tell them, and this is the trickiest one, but it's really important. And I actually spent a lot of time with my own son, Brennan, who you know, uh, is because he ran track this year. And there's the first time we had a track program at this school that I coach at. And they kind of, you know, talked me into kind of running most of it because I was I'm the sure only. I'm sure they did. Well, I was the only guy that had any experience with track. All the right. other coaches were like 22, 23, 24, and then one was a little bit older in their 20s. But so I had a great time doing it. So with Brennan, he was really getting interested in how to come out of the blocks better. So I'd film him and I'd show him, and I said, "Your back leg, when you push off, your your push off leg, and then your your back leg." they have to come through pretty low. I said, you're trying to drive your heels up and then step down. I need you to be able to almost, like if there was a softball, just to, you know maybe a foot in front of you, your toe has to come and you know, graze that softball yep. and push it forward, almost like a soccer ball, but, but yep. it's gotta be low. Soccer ball is too hot, yeah. that's sort of softball. And so I would show the athletes and I would go through and then little by little, what I had to do is some of them, I said, okay, I want you to drag your toe. I said, typically, I don't want you to do this all the time, but drag your toe just so you get the sensation. And it was funny. Over time, over the weeks, they got better and better, and then it just became part of their program. Yeah. So if we start saying, drive through your head, chase your shoulders, hand, throw those hands back, and have a low recovery on those first steps, you got half the battle beat right there. Right. Now it comes down to me sending them to somebody like you, and you get them strong. Right. You know, you start doing because if they don't have the strength to support their body mass, which we'll call relative strength, sometimes you almost got to just do the best you can yes. until they, until they get, get stronger. stronger. Yeah. yeah, but that those would be four things that I would really highlight to make it pretty easy to get the athletes understanding. And they're just really simple cues, real simple cues. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I think I'd heard most of those. I hadn't heard the run through the top of the head. And I really like yeah. that because that's something we'll cue a lot of times in the weight room, right? Yes. Versus people yes. get kind of squished and archy, you know, so I'll tell them long spine, but I like that being applied to acceleration. The other yeah. one that I love too is like the throwing of the hands. And I find yeah. that resonates so well with some of these kids because they're trying to run with these short little like Fred Flintstone, like T-Rex arms. Exactly. Right? And as soon as you tell them to, like, exaggerate the arm action, then you get the leg action that you want, and everything kind of looks better and cleans right up. That's right. Well, the problem is, especially when I was in school, we were taught 90-degree arms, short, quick steps to accelerate because it looks faster. Yes. And it does look faster, but the goal is to cover space further per step. And Dan Paff always talked about... Yeah, the best sprinters are most patient in acceleration, and they're okay not being as fast as they can be as long as they're long in acceleration, and then it helps them later in the race. Well, I, I say the same thing for a volleyball player going after a tipped ball before it goes into the bleachers. You, you have to push hard, almost like you're doing uh, like a fairly high step up. And you gotta grunt your way through that thing. Yes. Sometimes that's what it is. You want to do it as fast as you can, but if it's not long enough, you end up spinning your wheels like Fred Flintstone. Yes. Boom, yes. Boom, boom. You got You got to push. Yes. I'm gonna have to put a Fred Flintstone clip somewhere in the show notes for all the people that aren't old enough to remember Fred. That's right. <laughs> so, one more topic or one more kind of area on this acceleration topic. What are the biggest mistakes? Maybe not that you see with athletes. But the biggest mistakes you see coaches doing, like we've all been well-intentioned coaches and we think we've got this model. What are some of the biggest mistakes that we as coaches are making with regards to acceleration? Yeah, well, you mentioned one of them about arms stay really short and quick, 90 degrees, They because this 90 degrees is the template that we all kind of learn. But what we realize is we actually travel through 90 degrees. Yep. We go sh- we go more collapse than that on the front side, and then we go way more open on that on the back side on acceleration. And even in max velocity, when the arm's halfway, like by my leg, that's halfway, uh, it's pretty open. So yep. that's one mistake is we, we, we used to say, at least when I was a track athlete, they'd say, don't hammer your arm. Like, don't let that elbow come down and look, look like you're hammering when you're running. And actually, we kind of want to do that. We just we want to make sure there's still the pendulum of the shoulder. 
Yes. And, and then if the arm opens, that allows us to have an actual congruent action with the opposite side. And that's right. ultimately, that's the coordinative. And that's what the, the, the CNS really wants, is it wants coordination so that it can generate maximal force. And if it doesn't have it, it can't. Because the coordination is slowing down the timing of, of uh, inter and intramuscular coordination, really, if you go that deep. So, yep. uh, so that's definitely a mistake. Another one is we have to, and this goes to multidirectional speed too, we got to be careful about saying heels never touch and we stay high on the balls of the feet. We want the balls of the feet to be in contact, without a doubt. But there's a time often, even in maximal velocity sprinting, um, and sometimes, not many times, but in, in um, acceleration, where the heels will be really close to the ground. If somebody has extreme hypermobility, they might touch down if they're in the proper position. But usually if the heel touches on acceleration, they've cast it too far out front. Yep. But we don't want to be like posted really high and in an extreme plantar flexion. We want to be kind of loaded in that ankle so we take advantage of the nice uh, stretch shortening cycles and that ability to be really quick yep. of uh, absorbing and releasing force. So we don't want to teach, like, stay on your toes. If you say yep. stay on your toes, that's a mistake. We really want to, we really, I often will tell my athletes, hey, try to get your foot flat on the ground. They won't because the right. speed won't let them, but it does load their system much better. And then one of the other ones we got to be really careful of is we got to be careful of head position and body position. I've had some coaches, and actually we were at a meet this year, and I heard a coach talking to one of the players about uh, lifting their chest up. And the athlete was actually running really nice. And the athlete, what the coach wanted, and they're, they're trying to lift their chest up. And it put them in a really bad position to receive and absorb force yep. and even to breathe, in my opinion. Yep. But that, and so when the head goes, the chest went up like that, everything else kind of changed. And then the what happened is their backside mechanics got longer yep. because they started to get anterior with the pelvis. And so yep. the only space it has is on the backside. It lost it on the front side. Right. So those are things. Yeah, we got to be careful Sometimes with my athletes, unless I'm working with a high-level college or if I ever worked with an elite sprinter, I, I think I think for most kids, you got to be careful what you say. Just see what their tools are and try to support those tools because they don't sprint all the time. You know, like right. they're not being trained to be world-class sprinters. They're just trying to get faster for tennis yeah, you know, or, exactly. or softball or something. So we got to give them three things that they can benefit from. And if it's not perfect, at least make them faster by increasing ground contact time and force. Yes, yes. Okay, so speaking of things they don't do all the time, top-end speed. What role should top-end speed play in most of our speed training programs? Yeah, I think it should be a huge role. I have been preaching that for a long, long time now, and even more so over the last few years. And so I was getting a lot of questions so I just kind of put together what I did, and it's funny because my track program from from our high school kids to our middle school kids, we had about four months from February right up until the end of May. And what we did, it, oh, excuse me, the end of, yeah, well, kind of like, it wasn't quite the end of May. It was kind of the beginning of May. But what we did is I have a six-week cycle, and every six weeks we restart it. And what we work on is we work on a lot of uh max velocity technical things, uh, max velocity drills. And obviously to get to max velocity, you got to accelerate. So acceleration takes care of itself. Right. It's a built-in thing. I, I, you yep. just, you got to do it because I can't get the max velocity unless I, unless I accelerate there. So we do these acceleration sprints, but what it does, and, and this is what coaches don't understand. So I've worked with volleyball teams and, and, uh, you know, uh, racquetball guys and, People like that who don't understand, well, I don't ever sprint, Lee. I'm like, does it matter? You don't lift weights when you play either, but you're <laughs> fine lifting weights, right? Right. But sprinting, let's talk from the foot. It does great things to build a nice, strong foot that has to deal with these high forces of max velocity sprinting. And then obviously, if you're building the foot, you're building the complex of the lower leg, the Achilles and the soleus and obviously the gastroc. 
and then it moves up and we're starting to develop the hip and the hip flexors and we're developing that connection of the core and from one hip flexor up to the opposite shoulder and the arm action the lats are heavily about because if you never sprinted before or, or in a while went out and sprinted you'll be surprised how sore you get yeah. even your lats if you do it right and so it benefits your body so much and I, my basketball team, I was able to talk about 10 guys, maybe 10 or 11 guys out for track. And all those guys now increase their jump a decent amount. They're so much faster. Several who were close to Duncan are now Duncan. Nice. And it's just because we, we sprinted, we stayed vertical a lot. Uh, we even did wicket runs and we did different types of uh, sprint drills that kept them vertical and striking hard. Got in, got out, went home and rested, and they felt great. So I, I nice. think everybody should sprint, even adults. Well, the thing that I love hearing from you, because, again, if you've played racquetball or you've played volleyball, it's this small, contained space. And so to think that you're now incorporating all this just as a general athletic development tool, yeah. right? And I think sometimes we get away from that. I mean, look, we all know there's a role and a place for sports specificity, but just yeah. making more athletic – uh, more robust individuals, yeah. man, top end speed and speed development can make such a huge impact on these developing athletes. So I wish more coaches were incorporating more of it in their programs. That's right. And it's probably one of the easiest things to do from the standpoint of it doesn't take anything intricate. It just, you could literally say, hey, start here, run to that tree, you know, <laughs> right. or, or get in your school and go from this classroom down to the classroom at the other end of the hallway, you know, whatever. It just now, if you don't have access, like, uh, you know, Indiana in the wintertime, maybe you can't get outside and right. if you can't. And if you happen to have a, uh, you know, a woodway or some kind of treadmill, treadmill where you can get tall and run like that and you have to use that, whatever. But I just think the value in sprinting is just overlooked because they don't see the crossover. Yes. They can't see it in their short you know, court area. So, uh, right. yeah, you gotta, I think you gotta do it. You know, we do it all the time. My daughter, Bailey, who, you know, yeah. Bailey did this program for probably five to six years. And oh Bailey, she was never in high school, like one of the fastest, she was lopy. And I'm telling you, Mike, she went into one of the faster sprinters on her team. Even the last, actually Marion ended up beating them in the NAIA at oh. Marion this year. Yeah. They were, Marion was good. But her team was 28 and 1. So oh they had gosh. a lot of Division One players on her team. And um, Bailey was probably one of the fastest on the team because she sprinted. She would do it twice a week religiously in season, once a week, every seven, eight days. And it just maintained her speed. And, and she actually kept getting faster. Yeah. Plus strength training. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So for the coaches that are listening, right, they're not trying to be the next Dan Faf. They're not trying to coach track athletes. They coach field, court, sport athletes. What are two to three cues that you, they can be focusing on or things that they should be targeting when they're coaching top end speed? Yep. Yep. I'd say the main thing is, is run tall. Okay. Just, I tell my athletes, you know, like be two inches taller than you really are. Okay. So I'm five ten. I try to be six foot. <laughs> I just try to, yeah, try to run tall and be the tallest person in the room. And it, what it does is it, because of that, it makes them shorten their backside mechanics, which would be the second thing we want is, is I tell my athletes, be more front-sided, yeah. like step, 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 step. We'll use that a lot. Step, 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 because they're pushing, they're getting speed. But if I tell them to step quicker, they don't hang out on the backside as much. Mm. And so we get them to yeah get to that front side. And then the other thing that I have to use with a lot of my kids because they don't use their arms well is I will show them, I'll put my hands in my pockets and I'll tell them to do the same thing. And I'll say, right where your fingers are at the bottom of your pockets, that's where your fingers needs to need to pass when that goes by your leg. When your mm. leg's on the ground and your hands, if your fingers go by there, then I know you're somewhat reciprocal with that other leg. You've got a long support leg. Now that other arm has to be long there. It can shorten on the front side and it should, and it should shorten on the back side. But if you're not long there, you're kind of missing the gait cycle's uh, actual uh, uh, pattern that it needs to be in or model that we want to see. Okay. So those three pretty much can help any coach really quick. Okay. So kind of bridging the gap here. Curved running. 
Lots of people have been talking about curve running lately. I don't know if I've heard your stance on it, so I'm excited to hear what role curved running should play in either a general athletic development program or maybe some specific sports. Like when I think really like sports specific application it'd be like a basketball player coming off a pin down or a defensive player chasing that guy or a defensive end in football but just for starters where does curve running fit into a program yeah it's really important and uh, quite a few years ago i did a presentation on it and uh i have a like a private group that we had and we did it and i did a pretty in-depth thing on it and I, I always have liked it. I think it's really important, and we've done it a lot when we can. If I'm in a gym, I can do it. Uh, in my garage, I can't do it too yeah. much. I can do a little bit of stuff. Right. Or when I'm on a field, we'll do it. But the, the great thing with curved running, and really what you want to do with it is you, you want to treat it like where you would put your max velocity sprinting. Mm. So if okay. your day is going to be... Uh, some kind of sprint day and you want to emphasize curved running, curved linear running, then you'd put it then, maybe right after the warm-up, maybe you did a few, you know, 30s or whatever to really open up and then go ahead and start doing it. And here's why. Got to be careful because if athletes aren't used to it, when we sprint, we get a natural supination in the air, closed chain, and then we go into a pronation, that's the loading, and then we come out of it and that, you know, pushes us off the ground. Well, when we do curve linear running, that accentuates the supination and the pronation. So picture a softball or a baseball player rounding the bases. Mm-hmm. Okay, They always go to their left, right? Or a track athlete running a curve. Always go to their left. So my left leg is hitting more extreme pronation, and my right leg is hitting more extreme supination, well, it's not just happening there. There's signals and kinetic energy going all the way up from the groin to the lateral support system of the hip that, that makes me shift right or left within my pelvis based on where I'm going because one leg has to be slightly longer yeah. in its contact. The other one has to be shorter. So curve linear running, I think the mistake a lot of coaches make is they go big curves right off. Right. And I think what you have to do, and this is how I do it, is I'll take, let's let's say we're, uh, so they can visualize this. Let's say I'm on a soccer field and I have a midfield line, goes right across from sideline to sideline. And I would have the athlete sprint dead down the middle of that line. And that's a straight sprint. Now, if I put cones at about 10 to 12 yards, maybe, maybe even 15 yards in a row on that line, but I told them to weave in and out. I'm going down a, I'm using a strategy of a straight line, but I have to curve in and out of those and get across. That minimal, which might be anywhere from, you know, based on the more speed I get, anywhere from eight to 10, maybe 15 degrees off center is enough to get the athlete to start to feel what curve linear is doing to their body. Yeah. If you go too extreme, too fast, you're going to end up probably with some kind of sore tissue that you don't really want sore or possibly a joint structure because of the extreme speeds of it and the ground contact coming out of right. the ground, you know, because I boom, when you come out so fast. So then gradually what we'll do, literally, Mike, what we'll do is we'll take, so imagine I'm walking down that line and I pick up my first cone. I'm starting to progress this now, make it harder. I'm going to take the cone and I'm simply going to take a hip width stance and put that on the outside of that hip. The next cone, I'm going to put it on the outside of the other side of the yeah. line. The hip width. That now makes me very close to about 35 degrees to 45 degrees on my curve linear running. That's a pretty drastic improvement from that straight ahead running. So right. that's how we would do it. Yeah. And so treat it just like anything else. Proper rest and recovery in between reps and sets and, um, and try to maximize technical proficiency as much as possible, but understand you're going to have crossing of the midline with your limbs, and that has to happen. Otherwise, you won't be able to make the turns. Mm. Man, I love that. First of all, I've never done it like that, so I'm I'm anxious to try that, especially I channel my inner Lee Taft a couple times a year and do like these kids' speed camps now. It's oh, so yeah, much fun. Great. It's so that much fun. fun. Yes, but 
one of the things that we did last year was imagine kind of like a three-point line. So yep. we would stack cones around that. I don't have a three-point line in the gym. But we would create yep. that, and then we'd stagger the kids at different cones. So then they yeah. would chase each other. Literally, I couldn't get them to stop doing it. Like, we did it okay. once, and they're like, we want to do curved running. I'm like, <laughs> I get it. It's fun. But no, I really like that idea of doing the weaving, too. Because now, like you said, it's you get that reciprocal action as you're weaving through. But also, yep. it's it's less stressful early on. Right. And it, right. and then it will eventually bridge the gap into your harder like change of direction training. Right. That's right. And what an assessment tool. Right. You want to talk about showcasing low functioning uh, right versus left side. Yeah. When they go in and, and you know, and you're going to see it. You're going to see them struggle on it. And especially if you videotape it. But what I love about what you're doing with the three point line concept of that is they're learning to curve linear run through acceleration, which we know is much safer than max velocity right. curve linear running, which is is safe once they're prepared for it. But early on, go with the acceleration stuff. That's much yeah. better for their bodies because they they don't get vertical right off. They stay leaned, and that helps their, their joint structure much easier. Hmm. I like it. Okay, so we've talked a lot about straight ahead. Right. And most coaches, anybody that's listening could say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do acceleration and top in and curve a linear. But not a lot of people are backpedaling. Talk uh, to me about backpedaling. Why is it important? And then we can dive into some of the mechanical stuff on how to coach it. Yeah, that, that I would say I just was up in um, I was up in Rhode Island uh, just a few days ago at a, a orthopedic clinic. And I did a thing for a physical therapist and some of the some of the coaches up there. And we, we did a lot of backpedaling and we went through it. It was a full day workshop and I explained why and the variances of it that you can do to, to manipulate whatever you're trying to manipulate with your athletes. But I said, just think of body spatial awareness, um, the ability of the brain to, to, you know, to accept moving backwards and through, through space yep. and having to negotiate the body and cueing your athletes that the vertical axis is something we want to move around and not live in when we back them. We want to be in front of it, meaning our head is in front of it. Yes. So if I'm going backwards, the vertical axis, my face is the front. Even though I'm going backwards, my face is the front. My face has to be in front of the vertical axis as I'm moving backwards. So that way I never lean backwards and I don't fall backwards. Right. So, they, yeah, they learn a lot. But but mechanically when we think about that i'm not i'm not leaning forward at the hip when i'm running what, what we call or i call an extended back pedal versus a compact a compact back pedal is your defensive cornerback right, right? They, they get nice and low but we want to be tall and we don't want to bend at the waist so much we want to just pivot our weight forward and we get to push off and kind of lengthen or stride, just the opposite of what we would do if we were sprinting. We want to be long on the backside now. Yeah. That's where we're, because we're going backwards. And But what gets to happen, and this is what I love about it, especially from a kind of like a rehab, if you've got an athlete that's just coming off maybe some tendonitis of the knees or or uh, some hip, you know hip, low back stuff, it's really good for low back stuff, is they have to push off using that posterior part of the body to push off to go backwards stressing through that knee and quad tendon with the patellar tendon, which is healthy if it's kept kept in in check. And we get to lengthen, and we also get to, if we're running tall, the hip flexor region communicates really well with the gastroc because I'm longer and dorsiflexion is supported through the gastroc. As when I compact it, like I get really short like a cornerback, now it's my quadriceps, because I'm so flexed, communicating with like the Achilles and maybe the soleus and, and because I'm more compact. So we, as coaches, as basketball coaches or tennis coaches, look at it as it's a drill, it's a warm-up, sure. or it's a speed thing. You and I, in the area of performance, look at it as, man, what a great way to get an athlete healthy for a long season yeah. or to get a recovery method to drive maybe some tension through some of these joints and these tissues with low volume or high volume, depending on what we want. So yep. love backpedal stuff. Love all the different degrees of it. That's that's awesome. And one of the things that I like is a precursor is if somebody doesn't backpedal well, I love just backward sled dragging, 
right? Yeah. To yeah. kind of open up that backside. It teaches them some of those mechanics. Look, we could probably do an entire talk just on sled dragging and the carryover. It can give you yep. to all of these different postures and positions, right? Forward, lateral, backward. Talk to me about the compact versus the vertical and how you yep. would coach those differently. Because like one of the big ones, I guess, primarily I coach compact, right? Yep. Nose over toes, that short, yep. short choppy. But walk me through both iterations and how you might cue them differently. Yeah, so let's go compact first because okay. that's the one most people know in terms of athletic performance. We forget that we run tall backwards. Yeah. And I'll explain when and why and you know where we do that. But so compact. So really what we do is I try to tell my coaches when I'm teaching them or my athletes, imagine you're a tin can and you're getting crushed or aluminum can and they're just crushing you straight down. So I'm going to flex my ankles, flex my knees, flex my hips, and I'm just going to squat down in a narrow stance. And I'm like you said, we always talk about nose over toes and I want my shoulders to stay in front. So I want to make sure that I have somewhat of a forward you know, tilt to my body yep. and my hip, my hips, yep, my hips lead the chase on the way back. What we're going to do on this is we're going to push off and much like linear acceleration, I need low foot recoveries. High foot recoveries don't work in a compact shuttle. We don't want it. And it just mechanically doesn't work. I don't have enough space for that to happen. I can't flex anymore and still produce force to back up. So we want kind of almost not a, not like a, you know, like a shuffle, shuffling of your feet and slippers, not that right. kind of shuffle. <laughs> but I, I want to stay kind of low. I want to recover fairly low. I want to be on the ball of the, the ball of the foot and push through because I am going backwards. And we want our arms to match the cadence of the legs. So we don't get this really big, long arm strike. We've got this really short contact, almost like yeah. beating of the drum type thing. And we keep it level there. Now, the tricky part for these kids is when I set their position of their back, I want them to maintain that. So I want them to learn to really work through those quads. I'm a huge quad guy. I yeah. think part of our deceleration issues in young, skinny, weak athletes is they don't have any quads. They can't decelerate hard flexion and their quads can't help assimilate the upper body coming over the top and decelerating that because they don't have the quad strength to do that. And that has to help the backside when we decelerate. So I like to use those quads on that. And then what we do, Mike, is it, and this is how I progress it. I'm starting on the baseline, okay? Let's yep. picture that. My toes are on the baseline. I tell my athletes, you're backpedaling with your left leg only. Your right leg steps back. So we push hard real quick with the left leg. Feet recover right back to each other. Do it again with the left. So only my right leg keeps going back, and I'm only driving off my left leg. Once I get to the foul line... Now to half court, I switch legs. Now the other one goes. And the reason I do that is because I'm trying to get them to maintain those positions you and I talked about, nose over toes, and I can do it easier with one leg yeah. initially. And then the next time we do it, now so you get two steps. Get, you get one of each. You get a push, push, stop. And when I stop them, I usually chop their feet a little bit. Now push, push, stop, chop, chop, push push stop so they now they alternate then we'll eventually say okay now you're going to backpedal you know whatever 10 steps or to the to the foul line or 10 yards whatever you want to do but i really try to emphasize maintaining that position on the back pedals of, of the compact so i don't know if you have any additional questions on that before i go to the no. tall or if you want to no i just love that idea too of just going one one to two steps at a time because the other thing i see a lot is the coordination factor right like all of a sudden they can't, they like, they can't get their arms and their legs to work together. So just That's doing right. that one at a time, they can start to figure that timing and that rhythm out. So then yep. as you start to open it up, hopefully it kind of syncs up and works together. Exactly. And one of the best ways to get them to feel not overreaching is, so what I'll do is, uh, so I got my left foot uh, still and I step back with my right foot and I get on the balls of the feet and, you know, the toes are on the ground, balls of the feet, heels up almost under my butt. And uh, what I do is I'll tell the athletes, push quick with your left leg so you just rock back over that right foot and then bring your left foot down so you've actually done like a backwards squatted lunge, yeah. basically. It's a half a lunge. And, and some of the kids will go too far outside their center of mass, like way behind them. They can't do it. I said, see, you can't do it because you over, you've overspent your stride. You've gone yeah. too far. And I said, you can go a little bit further with the momentum. But I said – 
that's not the goal. The goal is to be quick with this backpedal because it's not a primary skill. Yep. It's just a skill to transition into another skill. So mm. we want to stay quick. Um, now when we go tall, which we call extended, the athletes get it, stay tall. And what we're trying to do now is stay in front of that vertical axis. And we're trying to reach a little bit more. Now I do want to have more of the step over action as we go back. I want them to have a little bit higher so that we can have a longer gait cycle. Um, we're trying to reach, not overreach, but my biggest thing is, is if I want speed on that back pedal, I have to be longer than shorter. If I'm too short, what happens is now the, the focus comes on not stumbling. Athletes get scared very quickly when they start stumbling. You can see them raise their arms and they're ready to fall. Yes. So if, if initially longer is better than shorter, and then eventually they'll find their actual stride pattern that fits them best. Now, the cool thing with the, the tall back pedal is if you teach them how to use their arms with it, they'll see how much they can increase their stride. So we really emphasize the arm action with it, especially on the front side. They yeah. really start driving those arms and it helps them open up a lot on that back side. Um, the other thing that we try to emphasize with this is going from a forward run turning, which we call a 180, 180 or a 180 series, then we go into the back pedal. Would it help them with, Mike, because I can run faster forwards when they turn and they're at these higher level speeds, it instantly teaches them to stay long and they start mm. lengthening that stride. And even sometimes I'll tell them, run, turn, take, give me two steps and then just jog out of it. You know okay. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Learn, yep. So they feel comfortable getting into those higher speeds on that back pedal. But the key is they have to make sure that, again, they stay in front of that axis and they're going to be really good and really comfortable on that back pedal because the next movement is going to come, whether it's a glide step to defend an action coming up the court or the field, or it could be another turn and run, or it could be a break and come back towards the action. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that they get comfortable in that back pedal pattern. I love it. I love it. Where does backpedaling fit into your training week? Because I think yep. a lot of times it makes sense, like, oh, this is an acceleration day. This is a top end. However you want to set it up. Where does backpedaling fit into your program? Yep. So we go, um, it's always a part of the warm-up because my warm-up consists of the seven patterns we've talked about in the past, backpedal being one of them. So we backpedal uh, uh, as, its, as its sole movement, but we do 180s every day. So they get the backpedaling a lot in there, and we incorporate um, – delayed and early head actions with the backpedaling, which is critical for this this uh, uh, rotational type acceptance of force. That's really yeah. important. So we start adding those in there. If I'm training backpedal, like during track, we had days where we trained backpedal, where we, we sprinted backpedaling uh, to really develop that backside. Um, and we would just put it after the warm-up, after we've gotten sweaty and really loose, and I know the kids are good, We'll go into it. We might do four sets of 30s of full out back pedals, hard as you can, walk back, boom, set, boom, go again. And so we'd put it at that point. If we're overly fatigued, we would do some variations of back pedal and stuff, but I wouldn't do maximal when they're really tired just because I don't want the mistake to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest things, especially with like the more developing athletes I've worked with, you know, they're naturally worried about falling over. So yep. trying to get them comfortable with the pattern first and then adding or layering layering in speed as you go seems to make the biggest difference there. Definitely. Yep, definitely. Okay. Trying to like kind of pull this together here. We've already talked a little bit about lateral acceleration and that lateral yep. gait cycle. Coming back to that, because I feel like this is something where a lot of coaches get in their own way. Yep. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see when it comes to coaching and cueing lateral acceleration? Yeah, I, you know what I would say? The first thing, and this might uh, you know, be a little different answer than you think, and then I'll hit the ones that most coaches need to really hear, is I don't think coaches watch it enough. I don't think they study an athlete moving. Just just simply take their phone out, ask a, ask a kid to do a seven-yard shuffle. That's one of our tests. We do seven-yard shuffle. And just watch them. They'll be shocked at what actually happens in that gate cycle. So one of the mistakes we make is, we tell kids, never let your feet get closer than your shoulders or your hips. Mm -hmm. Don't let them, you know, we don't. Well, that's actually negating finishing a gait cycle. 
Yep. The, the problem that most coaches have in not understanding physics is acceleration. In order for acceleration to happen, in order for the gait cycle to happen during acceleration, is the mass and momentum of the body is actually moving while pushing or pulling is occurring. It's not a stationary action. Right. Like if I were standing right here and my, my two ankle bones, my medial ankle bones are touching and I tried to accelerate, that's not going to work very well. <laughs> but if I'm bent in a stance and I'm moving fast, well, yeah, my feet can come really close together because momentum is allowing me to touch. Technically, I'm moving over the ground. So the ground is moving away from me. I, my foot catches movement. Yep. And then the front foot does the same thing. So in order for that to be a really systematic gait cycle, you got to push, you got to pull, you got to recover close together and then repeat the pattern. Yep. Now, if I'm shuffling slowly because the play is slow, sure, my feet don't have to get close together because I don't need it. But if I'm going maximal speeds laterally, they have to be able to finish the gait cycle. So number one, coaches, let your athletes recover the, the, the gait cycle. Don't let them yep. stop it short. Number two, if their front leg turns out, that's part of, again, central nervous system, in my opinion, of looking at this for three decades is I've seen it so much. That's part of the preser preservation. We're trying to preserve ourselves and we're trying to protect ourselves and we've got to escape. When I push on the backside to escape, I open the front side naturally yep. because it gets me into an acceleration gate. Now, if I'm using it as a shuffle, I'm, I'm much stronger when I push off my heel or pull from my heel. So that's why if you watch basketball, that's the sport that shuffles the most probably other than fencing or a, or a, or a left tackle or a right tackle who's you know pocket protecting. Right. They'll do a different type of a gate cycle. But what happens is we push, we pull, that front side turns out to be able to pull and to keep the gait cycle, because then I get to use better muscular muscles that can help me with force, and it's more stable. So we got to not tell our athletes to keep our toes straight together, because it just doesn't work biomechanically really well. Right. It, does, it just That's why when I studied it, I didn't tell anybody to turn their foot out, but everybody did. So I just said, okay, well, everybody's doing it. Let me learn why, and that's kind of what I did. Right. So that's the second one, is we, we want to let the gait cycle come together, number one. Number two, don't be afraid of that front foot turning out. Number three is we have to make sure that we, uh, we talked about this before, we allow that foot that's pushing off to dorsiflex, and we have to allow the foot to stay in the ground for two reasons. Number one, dorsiflexion gives me more elasticity. It, yep. it, it's a loading phase that's better, but I get, I get larger friction surface. So I have a size 10 foot. You work with guys who have probably 15 size foot. If they're just on the ball of their foot, which is maybe three inches, four inches, that's you're going to incur rotational forces that you don't want. You want to have a perpendicular foot. You want full contact. It's okay if the heel's on the ground as long as the knee's forward. Because yep. then we know we're on the ball of the foot as well. And you got full friction. So those three things right there, we got to get away from taking away from our athletes. Being too high on the balls of the feet, letting the feet come close together, good thing. And then the outside, the lead foot rotating out. Got to allow those things to happen. Yeah, I love it. Man, and and one of the things, I know I took this from you because I've taken a lot, <laughs> a lot from you over the years. But you were talking about the injury prevention benefits or injury reduction benefits of top-end sprinting, right? And yeah. one of the big things there is preventing hamstring issues. Because nothing we can do in the weight room reproduces the forces you see on a hamstring and sprinting. Well, right. a, a very quick lateral gait cycle, right? Like a speed shuffle. You talk about injury prevention for the groin. I'm going to knock on wood here. But not one of my basketball guys has dealt with a groin issue basically the entire time I've dealt with basketball because I've always kept lateral acceleration, like fast lateral acceleration work in their program. And I feel like it has such a preventative benefit to keeping the groin healthy. It sure does. Good for you, man. I'm telling you, that's so important and people overlook it. I was at the combine talking with the strength coaches and that was one of the things I talked about. We do seven yards and seven yards, most athletes are going to be three to four 
or three and a half to four gates, the big, bigger athletes, you know, smaller athletes will be maybe, a, you know, a little bit more than that, but that's really, really important. It's a, and the thing is, they, some of my kids, when we first started doing it, when I first took over, they're like, well, it's not really hard. I'm like, I'm not trying, we're not, like, we're not doing it as a conditioning. I'm trying to get you maximally moving those legs <laughs> and right. limbs, and that's what I'm after. Yeah. So, so yeah, good for you. That's great to hear too. Well, it's just so funny because the pros that I've worked with for a long time, like they get it. They know why we're doing this stuff. But the young, like the high school and some of these college age kids, they think it's just work, right? Because yeah. that's how they've been conditioned. So they're literally going from one exercise to the next to the next. I'm like, no, you have to take breaks, right? Yeah. This is about intent and making you faster and more explosive. It's not just about getting you sweaty and conditioning you. Like that's not the goal here. So it's, exactly. it's trying to teach them the intent behind why we're doing these things. Yep, that's right. Well, when I took over the track program, exactly the same thing. We kids were, were saying, gosh, I'm not even tired. I'm like, good. <laughs> but I'm supposed to be tired. And I, I tried to explain to them. I said, all the conditioning that you guys want to do, its whole purpose is to support this massive speed that we're trying to give you. Because you can be the best conditioned person in the world, but you're still going to come in last. Yeah. Gonna come in, <laughs> you're not going to win if you're not fast. I. You know, even the cross-country team, I kept telling the cross-country coach, you got to sprint them. Get them to sprint. I mean, you can sprint them 200, sprint them 150s, uh, you know, but get some short sprints in there too because at the end of the day, I don't care how good condition they are, if they don't have speed, they're never going to be competitive. You yeah. got to run a little bit. So, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a battle. I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> look, as I told you before, Lee, uh, man – we could talk about this stuff for like hours and hours. I'm conscious of your time. We've already been going for an hour. And like I kind of alluded to, I'd love to get you back in a couple of weeks because there's more stuff I want to dive yeah. into, right? I want to talk about change of direction. I want to talk about how you modify skills and drills, uh, how you run practices, right? Like when do you use yeah. blocked type training versus more reactive training? But I think that's good for today. And I hope everybody that's listening in has enjoyed this. I know I have. I mean, I'm literally, how many times have we hung out? Like, Probably on the order of hundreds, right? Oh, and that's yeah. that's not the extra hundreds or thousands of hours I've spent listening to your work. And I always take stuff away. For those people that are listening in, just give us an overview. Where can they find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Oh, thanks, Mike. No, uh, if, if they go to uh, leetaf.com, they can pretty much find information there. I'm pretty active on social media. I try to I try to keep, you know, my my perspective on th different things in youth sports and training out there. And uh, so they can find me at Lee, at Lee Taft usually. And, um, you know, if they're in the basketball arena and they want to look at basketballspeedspecialist.com, they can find some cool information on that. And uh, but, yeah, no, I appreciate it, Mike. And always a pleasure to to chop it up with you because, uh, you know, I likewise I learn. And, you know, I've sent many athletes to you because. You guys are so good at what you do, so I've always appreciated it. And a chance to come on and share ideas with another coach who's passionate about it is always fun for me. Yeah, man, I can't tell you how many, not just like like high-level athletes, but like these young kids. I think that's one of the most rewarding things about all this now is all the stuff that I've learned from you from a speed perspective and a movement perspective, being able to teach you know, my daughter's soccer team how to move better, how to be faster, my, my son's basketball team, teaching them how to shuffle, or they play baseball, how do, how do you sprint faster, how do you shuffle, get your shoulders behind a ball, like all that stuff, man, I can't thank you enough for that, it's been really fun learning from you, and man, just really appreciate the work you've done over the years. Uh, thanks, Mike, I appreciate you as well, it's great to hear. Awesome, all right, Lee, thank you again for coming on, we'll get part two going here in a couple weeks, and uh, man, again, appreciate your time. Likewise, Mike, looking forward to it. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Lee Taft. Like I said, I really felt like we captured lightning in a bottle here. Lee was absolutely on fire and low key. I was kind of jealous of you because you get to sit back, relax and listen. I'm trying to run the show. Think about next questions. Think about how to keep the, the conversation rolling. Man, I really wanted to go back and take notes. I know I'm going to be listening to this one two or three times later. So hope you enjoyed it. And like I promised, we're going to get Lee back on because there was a whole nother section of topics that I want to dive into with him. And he's just such a wealth of knowledge, man. He's literally what I consider to be the best multi-directional speed coach on the planet. And I really, really hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you did, 
I got a small favor to ask. Always trying to get this show into the hands of more trainers, coaches, physical therapists, anybody that wants to help their athletes get better, this is the show for them. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon store, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now and subscribe. If you've already subscribed, go one step further, share this episode with somebody who wants to help their athletes get faster. If they haven't been exposed to Lee, they don't even know what they're missing out on. And I can tell you this, I would not be the physical preparation coach, strength coach, whatever you want to call us these days. I wouldn't be the coach I am today without having Lee's teachings and Lee's guidance in my life. So, so thankful to have him on this show and so thankful for his time. So, you know, last but not least, thank you for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we will be back next week with our next episode. Take care.